0: Hi! Hey! Welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm Kay Albert-Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or Tradition? That led me on a deep dive into the history of my faith, the history of Christianity, history of the Bible and the biblical canon, and the Reformation and all that up and to beyond. Well, it was that journey that led me into looking into the Catholic faith in earnest and reading actual Catholic sources. It's right there in history. It's hard to avoid. And as I began reading from actual Catholic sources, what Catholics actually believed, I realized what I thought I knew about the Catholic faith was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on misunderstandings. Simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap. The gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. And this week I am joined by Dr. Steve Christie to talk about abortion and how to talk about abortion. Steve is, as he says himself, a wacky Catholic and also a medical doctor and a lawyer and the author of a fantastic new book out from Emmaus Road Press talking about how to talk about pro-life issues. It's a fantastic book. Steve is a wonderful guy, and his mission, his work is incredible. I really can't think of anybody more articulate, more kind, more thoughtful, more compassionate, and more grounded in these issues than Steve. I think you're going to love his discussion, his way of discussing this, and what he shares on this episode. Really, I cannot underscore for you anymore how fantastic of a conversation this is. Like, it's truly, it's it's a deep Heavy topic, hard to talk about, but Steve is the exact right guy to have this conversation. He couldn't be any more cordial if he tried, so he has indeed found the right show to be on, and I'm grateful for his time in appearing and talking with me about this topic on this show. This conversation and others on this program are brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordial catholic. This show does not run itself, it's not my full-time job by any stretch of the imagination, and you guys who have to underpin this show make it possible to do this thing week after week. If you want to help support the show, head over to patreon.com slash cordial to see how you can do that through your monthly support, or go over to paypal.me slash cordial catholic to support this show on a one-time basis basis. And thank you for your consideration and for your support and for listening and your reviews and ratings and telling people that they might also enjoy this show and all that kind of stuff that you guys do week after week. Thank you. It means a lot. And now, without any further ado, my fantastic conversation with Dr. Steve Christie on how to talk about abortion. It's an absolute doozy. I think you will love it. Thanks for listening, guys. Here it is. Enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're listening on podcast, please make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And you can watch us also on youtube.com slash TheCordialCatholic if you're watching us there. Thank you for watching. Please subscribe to that channel and give us a thumbs up, a like, hit the bell so you get notified when new videos come out each and every week. Thank you, friends, so much for watching and being part of this community. This week, a, a really good discussion. I'm joined by Dr. Stephen Christie. He is a physician specializing in oncological... Why did I even try and say that? Oncologic radiology. <laughs> I, I saw the word and thought I shouldn't even try, and I tried. Oh. He's also an attorney, member of the Florida Bar, and aside from his medical and legal work, he's also a lecturer on Catholic social issues, particularly marriage, family, and the dignity of life. He and his wife, Dr. Grazy Christie, live in the Miami area and are the proud parents of five children. Dr. Christie, thank you for being here. Welcome to the show, and great, hello.
1: Great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. I'm I'm, glad, I'm really glad to be here.
0: i love to start off by butchering my, my guest's introduction. That's my favorite thing to do on this show, is to butcher F- one of those. Fantastic. <laughs> I gotta say, I, I say a lot of theologically large words. You know, there's all kinds of words, epistemology, and these kinds of big words that we have to grapple with. I, I rarely am trying to pronounce medical words, so perhaps that's why I stumbled. <laughs>
1: You're absolutely forgiving. Thank I'll you. Butcher, I'll butcher a few today, I'm sure. Okay,
0: that sounds good. Just so we're on, on the same page. I, this, is, this is a serious discussion. It's a heavy discussion. It's a good discussion to have. It's an important one to have. And I do want to underscore the, 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 the nature of that discussion. But I want to begin with a little bit of a, a, a wondering of mine, uh, Steve. You know, because most parents wish for their children to grow up and have successful careers. Most think of, I want them to be a lawyer. Or, or a doctor. And I think you're just showing off, Steve. <laughs> you're a lawyer and a doctor, so so putting everyone else to shame and the, the dreams of their parents. So
1: way to go. Well, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. You got to be careful. Got to be careful. <laughs>
0: I think that's fantastic. Well, that does perfectly kind of poise you for a discussion on, on these kinds of topics, these kind of pro-life uh, topics, the, the issue of abortion. And I'm curious to know, so I should have said in your introduction too, you are, of course, the author of the book we're here to talk about, Speaking for the Unborn, 30-second pro-life rebuttals to pro-choice arguments out from Emmaus Road Publishing. That's what brought you on the show today. I should, probably, should have mentioned that in your, in your intro. You have an, I think, an interesting journey and a lot of insights into this topic. So I want to begin there, if we can, Steve, with sure the journey that brought you to writing and thinking about these things, where you began, what got you to where you are now. Because I think it's pretty interesting to put that together. Can you just sure? sure. a little so, back, back so broad, broad
1: question. I'll give you a little, a little background. So. Yeah usually when I, I do a lot of live speaking and usually when I'm introduced, they say, you know, as, as a physician that I know science and embryology and as a lawyer, I've studied the, the law and the constitution. As a father of five, I know a bit about babies and pregnancy and having not been, you know, not pregnant myself, but I know a fair amount. As a husband of 25 years, I've come to, you know, appreciate the, the difficulties of a woman balancing a career with her family life. But but none of those are really my, my biggest credential for speaking on pro-life issues. What really makes me most qualified to speak, I think, on this issue, is the, the fact that I spent the first 35 years of my life as a secular pro-choice liberal. So I have a I know exactly what, why, and, and how the other side thinks about abortion. And having lived in both the pro-choice and now the pro-life worlds have a fairly unique vantage point from which to address the issues. I like to say that when I was when I was pro-choice, I learned the arguments, but when I became pro-life, I learned the truth and, and the book and the accompanying website uh, speaking for the are the truth. Uh, so that's sort of a little bit about my background. I um, you know how how I got my story from how I, I got from pro-choice to to pro-life is a is a sort of a long circuitous path that I butchered a word for you. Um, (laughs) but I mean, I could tell you uh, if you're interested in in the journey. So, so I grew up in a, in a secular progressive household. I, um, my mother is a cultural jew my dad is greek orthodox i was raised completely as an atheist Uh, i had santa claus for christmas i had the easter bunny for easter and i had one day of hanukkah because it got me a gift so i was all (laughs) for that um as i went through school i went to a very secular progressive um private high school where it was absolutely understood that understood that if you were educated if you were a thinking person if you were sophisticated you were obviously Pro choice. In fact, it was so obvious, nobody actually thought whether it's true or not. And conversely, if you, the pro lifers were clearly uneducated, uh, backwards, yeah. uh, intolerant, and probably Jesus freaks. And even so, I, I went to law school uh, completely still in the pro choice world. I even started medical school in, in, as a pro choice person. And if you'd asked me why, I, I couldn't have articulated a reason. I might have said to you, I would might have thrown down, uh, you know, one of these cliches, you know, my body, my, my choice, or I might have. I might have said you're, you're a misogynist or something, um, but I didn't have a, a, even an explanation for why I thought as I did. And what changed me, I guess, in, in a word is the truth. And in medical school, you actually learn and study the facts about science and, and life and embryology. And you, and you learn critically. Actually, you know, you actually see and hold embryos and fetuses in your hands. Um, and as Shakespeare says, you know, the truth will out. And we learn there's actually a definition of life. And it's not a matter of philosophy or religion or politics, that what is alive, what is living, is a purely scientific question that science has fully answered. And it's spelled out in every embryology book and every biology textbook used at every medical school across the world. Um. And I, I don't know if you want, but there's actually a, a specific moment where my sort of that, my world got, my pro-choice world got yeah, rocked. Yeah. So my my wife, we actually met in medical school. And one evening I was in the anatomy lab late at night and I was wandering around and there's a room off the edge of the, uh, the anatomy lab that nobody goes into, it's like a storage room, it's covered in dust, I I've had to find a light switch, I turned the light switch on and there's extra desks and extra chairs in there and I see a cabinet, sort of askew off on the corner and I walk toward the, the cabinet, I looked around the edge and on shelves were jars of formaldehyde with babies in them in different ages of development. So we had embryos and fetuses in different stages And clearly they had been discarded for years, covered in dust in this old room. And I was looking at them and looking at them and looking at them. And I became horrified at how irreverently they were being treated, having been discarded there. And it really horrified me. So the next day I I hunted down um, our embryology professor, who was a really wonderful teacher. And I I pulled her aside after class and I, I confessed to her. I said, look, I was really, really, I saw this cabinet last night and I was really disturbed. Uh, by the by the irreverence that these babies were being treated and I used the word babies and she got agitated and irritated and angry and shook her finger at me and said those are not babies they were never babies they were never alive never alive never alive and and we sort of froze and look at each other and and I was reminded immediately of another line from Shakespeare um the lady doth protest too much <laughs> um and I froze and she froze and I knew Absolutely at that moment. those were babies and they were alive at one point. And interestingly, I knew she knew it as well. Um, and that was the big change for me. Uh, from there actually was began my OB, I actually began an OBGYN residency for, for, for two years. And, and there when you see uh, you know hold babies in your hands when you actually study it when when women miscarry, and you hold, you know, they're, they're, they're dying little babies uh, in your hands, the truth is you can't deny the truth. The, the truth, you know, the, the whole pro-life movement is based on facts, science, and truth. And when it's in your hands, there's no denying it. So that was sort of the, you know, there were other steps along the way, but the, those are the big highlights and where I got, where I came from and where I where I now am.
0: <laughs> That's a fantastic story, Steve. Wow, that really is. You can. I mean, I, I appreciate the Shakespeare quote because that encapsulates that very well. You can, you can feel in that moment that this professor of yours knew what you were saying was true, right? That that and just that doubling down on that denial. And I know that one of the the, the points that I want to get into this in a minute on the on the strategy sure. of your book is you're just looking at at science, right? You're not, you're not necessarily even bringing in religious arguments into the this sphere of of Uh, pro-life arguments you're looking at 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 the science and it's really getting through some of the science denial in a sense these mental gymnastics that is a lot of the work that you're doing in 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 this kind of movement right
1: that's why that's why it's very exciting for me um i'll back up for a second so this is a catholic show and I, i i'm a wacky catholic who goes to mass every day i was an atheist but you know things change in life um and you know, I try really hard to do a lot of apostolate with our faith. And it's very frustrating because you plant seeds and maybe you'll never see the fruits or maybe the fruits will come 50 years from now or three years or never. So you really have to keep working hard. But it's frustrating. You don't see the fruits of your labor. That's not the case in the pro-life world. Uh, it's sh- If you know your arguments and you've studied you know, the background materials you need to know, it is sh- a shockingly winnable um, cause to be on. Uh, and it's very exciting to be on the side. Fact, science and truth win out. You know, almost every single time, uh, maybe twice in the last three years, have I actually not gotten through to a, a pro-choice person? So it's really exciting to be on this cause. Really, really is exciting. You know, they they survive on uh, the pro-choice movement survives on on cliches and rhetorical deception and and, and ad hominem or personal attacks, and there's really nowhere to go uh, on their side, and and they they unable to articulate their views, uh, and which is what actually led to this book for me is I, I found that the pro-life side, we sort of knew abortion is wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. And that's great to know, but that's not enough to sustain a movement. We need to know why abortion is wrong and be able to articulate to anybody who asks. And so I collected over the course of a few years, the best of the arguments that I'd heard and the best of the rebuttals. And I'm sure you've heard most of them. And I I sort of honed them, edited them, combined them, reworked them and put them in a format that was user-friendly that you could bring into uh discussions or debates uh, you would have sort of some bullet points in your brain so that you could actually use them in a meaningful way and, and i think it's really the book in, in that way is unique
0: uh, and, and,
1: and really in, in many ways i'm more editor this book than author and and every 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 argument that that's uh, pro pro choice argument is given we give I, I give multiple rebuttals that you can use uh, and then I give the size sorte- uh, sizes, uh, uh, sources and citations where they're from and additional reading if you want. So it's really, it's, it's a, it's really, I think a, a valuable and unique resource and that it's so user-friendly.
0: Uh, absolutely, Steve. Absolutely. Okay. I want to ask you, the book sure. has this chapter of uh, this, this heading of, of why bother now? I'm thinking of places. I mean, I think that that good news is that maybe this chapter is a little bit outdated already because in the states we're already seeing movement in this area, which is great. I mean, great to have a book on this topic become slightly outdated at least in, in that sense because there is suddenly this movement in in the states. I don't want to I don't want to date this show too much by putting it in in time and space. I want it to be accessible even after whatever happens in the States eventually happens. Sure. Because there are places like up here in Canada, where I am, or or say other places in, in, in Europe, in the United Kingdom, where there's lots of listeners, in Ireland, uh, all around the world, in Japan, where we have a fan base, different places where people listen to the show, where this seems like the idea of abortion a, a settled topic. I'm thinking of here in Canada, where really the the coverage of the abortion discussion in the States from a Canadian point of view is is so one sided from all of our all of the national news outlets that you'd think that it's just a subtle debate. Well, of course, abortion should be fully legal for 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 women at, at all stages. You know, the, the, these silly Americans even talking about this is is just so silly. For for places where listeners like that might be coming from, where where for us in, in this country and other places around the world, this seems like. A, a non-issue. Like abortion is fully legal, at, you know, in d- different kind of restrictions, but it's fully legal. There seems to be no winds of change happening, no, no will of anybody in that country to, to to change things. Why? Why, in your opinion, should people who are pro-life, people who are like ourselves, why? Why speak out in those cases when nothing seems like it ever could change?
1: Well, a couple of reasons. The, the, the pithy answer is there are 62 million reasons in the, for, in the United States alone why yeah. why you need to speak up. 62 million abortions since Roe v. Wade in 1973, and that's just US statistics alone. And that's more than the populations of California and New York combined. Now, if what was being aborted isn't human, and it's not alive, then it doesn't matter. But if those are human beings and alive, then we've killed, just in the US alone, 62 million children. And, and that's why we have to be on this cause. The other exciting reason, as I alluded to before, is we're, the, the pro-life movement has tremendous momentum right now in the, in the United States. The, the press, you wouldn't know that by reading the press, but the fact is the laws are changing. If the leaked opinion from Dobbs in the United States Supreme Court holds, which most experts think probably will, uh, we're going to actually have had a, a, a sea change has happened would have happened in this country that abortion would not be federally illegal in the united states but now it's no longer federally federally protected so that it goes to the states and we have probably in the united states around 26 states that will uh, severely restrict abortion or or prohibit it will probably be around 14 or so states that will allow it probably up until the moment of birth like california and new york and in between eight or 10 or 12, somewhere in there are states that are somewhat unknown. So there is there is real legal momentum going on. And if you dig into uh, the statistics, there's even momentum in people's minds that are is shifting toward pro-life. And you can look at polls, and it depends how the polls are asked. But in the United States, for instance, it's about 75% of people um, – from all political persuasions and whether they're pro-choice or pro-life are support a ban of abortion after 12 weeks, for example. And I'm, I'm not, I'm an incrementalist, so I'm against all abortions. But if we get people to agree, uh, to no abortions after 12 weeks, that's a phenomenal start in the right direction. And then when that becomes ingrained in our brains and we understand why we made that move, then a few years down the road, we revisit that issue and bring it down, uh, You know, to six weeks, and we bring it down to four weeks, so that when people understand the truth of abortion, so that you know we can you know force things down people's throats, but we really want to we want to win people, um, uh, we want to win their hearts and minds. We don't want to we don't want to you know poke them in the eye and force them under under threat of uh, to that. So that's that's the approach we have, and that's the approach of the book. Uh, You know, we talk a lot about strategy in the book before we even get to the arguments. We talk about you know where we speak, and we talk about. How we speak, and, and then before we ever get into the what we speak. So, you know, we talk about in the where we speak. You know, there's the Ben Shapiro's in the world that go into stadiums, um, and he, they fight it out in these crowds, and that's that's wonderful for those people, but that's not me. Um, and there are, you know, congressmen and congresswomen that are in the in the leg- legislatures that can make laws, and that's fantastic. And there's appellate court uh, lawyers who are going to go to these appellate courts, the Supreme Court, and, and argue things, and that's great. But the rest of us have a role and an important role, and that's in the everyday circumstances of our of our ordinary everyday lives. And that's me and you. That's with our friends and our families and our co-workers, one person at a time. Oh, that's and that's that's sort of the where. Uh, and then the book talks about the how and that we always have to be you know, charitable and we have to be intelligent. We have to be persuasive, articulate. That's why I make these things brief. And 30 seconds long these arguments that's about the attention span of an average human being um we have to be mindful that a a, probably 25 percent of the women that we're speaking with have already had an abortion and they deserve our compassion and not our condemnation because i speak for myself but i'm sure you feel the same way we've all made terrible mistakes in our lives and these women you know many of them suffer with with guilt and shame and so they deserve our our compassion and then i think one of the big key things that i've learned in, in this in this debate is we have to focus on winning hearts and not winning arguments, and not sticking it to people, and not making gotcha arguments, because that's not winning anybody to your cause. So we always have to be winning people's hearts. And and the, what I've learned, the the words I'm looking for when I'm debating somebody or discussing with somebody, is you know, it'd be great if I, I if I could say you know uh, this is my one argument, and they say, wow, Steve, I'm I'm pro-life, fantastic, <laughs> thanks for you know, uh, that's not my, exp- my experience, but my experience is when you are clear, you're respectful, you're kind. And intelligent i very often hear something like this steve you know that's interesting that's really interesting I, i'd never really thought about it that way before and to me that's the sound of the of the heart opening to the truth and and that's when things really change and so for me that's part of the excitement of the whole thing then when you have the where and you have the how and strategy then you're ready for the actual words you use yeah. Yeah. which is the book which is the book itself and the art and the rebuttals
0: I think that's so fantastic, Steve. I, I love your section laying out that strategy of of why you you approach it in that particular way, right? Because, again, you're not just trying to win an argument. You're not just trying to have the most pithy saying or or score the most points. I appreciate your non-stadium <laughs> lecturing approach. Uh, you know, you're right. Like, and this is the same thing with, with debates on any kind of topic. Like, I mean, debates... Are are good for solidifying why you believe something or are hearing the other side, but they don't often any kind of debate really move a person from from belief in one thing to belief in another thing. It's those it's the the, the hard work in in the trenches, you know, talking to a person one on one and kind of really knowing knowing your stuff, but also knowing the person that you're talking to. I think underscoring for me the fact that you did right that is it one in four women may have had None. an abortion. You're, you're talking to like, That's a that's a huge thing to understand as you approach that conversation, right?
1: Right. Absolutely. And, and that's why we really have to be sensitive to every person you're, you're speaking to. I have learned that if the person believes, and this is not strategy, this is real. This is, this is Christian love. If the person you're speaking with believes you care about them when you're speaking to them, and they listen to you, and you're—they're really open, open-minded, and open to change. And I don't mean caring about them because you are being conniving because you want to win your argument. I mean, really caring—you know, w- willing the good of that other person for their sake. Uh, and and I just—I just, I just it, again, when you couple that with the with the fact that our arguments are so persuasive, that when they learn the truth, the truth hits really hard. I guess the only other thing I, I would add that that um, that I, I would add in terms of strategy is that you everybody needs to find courage. Uh, my wife is a, a very, very well-known in the pro-life movement, and she has enough courage for everybody. She's fierce. She backs down from nothing, and she doesn't need to be prepared for anything. Me, I'm not that way at all. My, my inclination is, let me write the book, I'll put it. I'll send it out, and then I'll hide in my closet. That's sort of the way I do things. And, and you know, for, for you were kind enough to have me on, on your show here, but before I come on the show, I'm sweating and I'm nervous and I have to calm myself down and some, take some deep breaths because it's not my instinct to get out there to do these things. But we have to have courage and 62 million children who can't speak need us to speak for them. So that's the other thing, just that I always say everybody, you have to muster a little bit of courage and it doesn't mean to go into the stadiums. It means to talk with your your, your brother who, who doesn't agree with you, to talk with your friend when, when the moment is right. But you have to get out of your comfort zone to do that. And I think that's just one more piece of
0: strategy I think is really important. Yeah, I think that's fantastic, it's fantastic. I want to begin. um, Well, I keep saying I want to begin, but I want to begin to these actual, (laughs) some of the actual arguments here. And and the first one that I think a discussion like, if somebody, you know, pops this up on YouTube and sees you and sees me, sees two white men talking about this conversation, the first often thing they might come out of their, their, in their mind, out of their mouth might be, what are two men? right to 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 white men doing talking about this topic what right do we have to talk about this topic um what do you, I think of all kinds of ways of, of beginning to, to address that, but where would you begin with a, with a kind of a rebuttal right out of the gate or, or a comment right out of the sure. gate like, like that, Steve?
1: So there's, th- there's three sorts of arguments that I, that, I'm, that I hear a lot being a man. And the first one is the, the no, no uterus, no opinion. Who do you think you are, <laughs> a man, talking about women? Yeah. And I, I like to talk about social justice because social justice resonates with everybody on all sides. I tell them is I, I always echo the words of Martin Luther King and Abraham Lincoln I, and I say that would be it would be both cowardly and immoral to to permit yourself to be silenced on critical moral issues um based on you know your skin color or your sex and your religion and any arguments to the contrary are sexist and bigoted and racist and I find that when people are accused of being sexist bigoted and racist they tend to be quiet, and I can give You have know, quotes by you know Lincoln to sin by silence when they should protest makes cowards of men, or a man. Uh, Martin Luther King says a man refu- uh, dies when he refuses to stand up for justice. So the idea that 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 you know I, that this is a human issue, this isn't a gender issue. That that's the first set of arguments. The other argument I get is that is as a man is I'm personally a misogynist that I don't. I don't like women. I don't care about their health. That for some reason I have no regard for my wife's health, or two of my children are are, are women, and I I don't care about my daughters, and and so I I have a line that I use for that. When people say that I'm anti woman, I tell them I'm not anti woman. I'm I'm just anti killing, and since th- you know th- about this year, three hundred thousand baby girls will be killed in the U.S. alone. Um, my objection to that is. Fiercely, fiercely pro-women. That's the second category of arguments. And the third category I get every once in a while is that the actual movement itself, the pro-life movement, is a movement of men subjugating women, which is nonsense. And, And you could give them just a few statistics. And that first, men are less opposed in polling to abortion than women are. To the volunteers, the people actually active in the movement, the volunteers are almost exclusively women. If you go to a crisis pregnancy center, they're all staffed uh, by women. And the leaders of every national pro-life group in America, I, I can't think of one exception are all women, so this is a, loo- a movement led by women that let me do some speaking. Let me join their ranks. So the idea that this is just a movement of men subjugating women is is nonsense. So those are the three arguments that I I get as as being a man, and you need to be as a man, you need to pre- pre- be prepared for all three.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think that that's well said, Steve. I guess one of the places that this discussion begins, I meaning that that argument even has a leg to stand on, is the fact that. That uh, you know, the the unborn are not seen as human, right? I think that probably is the is the the crux of this. I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but the crux of this discussion is the fact that these unborn persons are not seen as as human, and therefore it becomes a women's health issue. It becomes an issue of you know, why can you speak to this? It's not a, an issue of killing. It's an issue of women's health, and this is a not a human. It's something that's growing inside of them, or or, or some such kind of argument like that. Is it safe to say that the the crux is really the idea of the unborn being a person? Does that that make sense? They have a million
1: arguments they throw at you, which are unscientific. Uh, They're usually personal attacks, or they're cliches, you know, reproductive justice. And I say to them, what do you mean by reproductive justice? They just repeat it, reproductive justice. And I I would say to them, do you know what justice is? Giving each person their, their due, that there's two people there. But if you start off with the, you know, it's not alive, it's not a person, it's not a human, those, again... And we talked about, I talked about this before, that what's alive is not a philosophical question. It's not a religious question. It's not a political question. And it's, it's a scientific question that science has fully answered. And it's an argument that the pro-choice movement lost years and years ago. So it's just a clump of cells. Or I read this week about uh, medical abortions eliminating pregnant, this is the newest one I heard, was pregnancy tissue. That was the, I think New York Times actually was pregnancy tissue or, or Washington Post was pregnancy tissue. So these are, these are, false arguments and you just need to be clear to them what the science is. Um one of my favorite poll uh studies came out about a year and a half ago. It's a it's a um survey done of over a thousand worldwide medical institutions and they have almost six thousand biologists responded to a survey and one of the main questions was does human life begin at conception and a full 96% agreed that life began begins at conception um and what's really funny is the pro-choice movement was very upset about this and they said this clearly is a biased study and in fact it is a biased study but it's biased against the life side because nearly 90 percent of these biologists self-describe themselves as liberal Self-describe themselves as pro-choice, and a majority des- uh, describe themselves as being non-religious. So I always say, let's stick to the most basic scientific fact in this in this debate, and that life begins at conception. And when they say it's not a human, you know, being human is not a matter of degrees. You're either human or you are not. And that thing growing in your uterus is not a you know an eggplant, and it's not a bicycle. We we know what it is. Uh, so again, I just come back to them with with simple facts. There is really one. Legit. I mean, we, there's a million arguments they make, and I have we refute all of them. So, we, we, and we can happily go through all, as many as you like. <laughs> but one, yeah. the 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 real the only real legitimate discussion, in my mind, having done this a long time, the, the, the legitimate discussion have has to do with balancing a woman's autonomy and bodily integrity versus the rights of the child within her uterus, and those are both legitimate issues to discuss. Uh, I mean, as men, we we got to be careful talking about this. But I, I, I'm very big into my own bodily integrity and autonomy, and I feel very strongly about my wife's bodily integrity and autonomy and my two daughters. Um, but like everything else in life, there's a balance that we have to find, and you know, the right to swing your fist ends just before it hits my nose. So when somebody talks about the you know the my body my my choice arguments. I, I agree where I can, and I tell them that I fully support the right of a woman to to control and do what she wants to her own body. I just don't believe she has the right to do some something harmful to another person's body. And a pregnancy involves at least two people, sometimes three if there's a triplets or more. That's the my body part, and and the my choice part is is I I again again I agree where I can, and I say a woman should have the right to choose. The right that we're talking about is not to choose whether or not to kill their baby, it's to choose whether or not to have sex. And if she's going to choose to have sex with knowing there's a risk, she may create a living human being inside her. Then society has to ask that woman to, 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 to endure that hardship for months and and, and a significant hardship. If the only alternative is, is killing a child, because what we're, this is this balance issue, the balance of the burden on a woman in the end. And I don't say this lightly is, is, is an issue of lifestyle. It's it's a, It's a burden on her lifestyle, and it's temporary. And the the right, if we look at the right of of the child, it's the right to not be killed. It's the actual right of life itself, and the right of lifestyle versus life. Life trumps lifestyle. So I always say I'm also very pro-choice. Just I believe in one less choice than than the pro-choice movement. I believe you can choose abstinence. You can choose motherhood. You can choose adoption. You just can't choose to kill your child. So that's the discussion. I think the only one that... That really is a is a difficult one in a sense with a with a logical conclusion, and that is that we have great respect for uh, anybody's bodily integrity and autonomy, and, and we fully understand it is just not absolute because life is complicated. Life is complicated in that regard.
0: Yeah, I, that that's so well said, Dr. Christie. That's so well said, and I'm thinking too of uh, this this balancing act and the fact that science really has has moved past being able to say well this is my choice because it's my body and this is a thing growing inside of me that that has no consequence like, as you point out study after study these different these different surveys show that that science right agrees with the, with the pro-life movement that this is a human being growing inside another human being and and that human being that has to have rights it's not just it, it's not just a, a, a disease or, or a, a random organism or something that can just be removed at, at will right we're not using religious arguments here in, in, in these context right this is this is science this is this is a living thing and then once we establish that we begin to grapple with what does that mean but that that really is like i mean that's, that's hard to get around
1: and you make a great point. I just recently, uh, uh, last week, re-listened to the Dobbs oral uh, Supreme Court hearings, uh, and Justice Sotomayor says, and she said, your decision that that uh, that uh, the unborn is alive, that's a religious position. And I really, I don't know if it was a strategic, an error on the point uh, part of the the pro-life attorney or, or for a strategic decision, but... He didn't say this is not a religious discussion at all. This is based on science, science, and science, and it's accepted universally by all scientists. Uh, I, I was desperate for that to be to be said today. I read an article today, and I can't remember in which journal, but I read a journal today again, making the straw man argument, saying that we're imposing that the pro life movement is imposing their religious views, and you can be an absolute fierce atheist, and you still should be pro life. We're ba- again based on science, which brings up a, another great point in. And that is, we have to be able to articulate these positions. And so when I started writing these rebuttals, and I was thinking to myself, as I started collecting them and putting them together, I kept on saying, well, why exactly am I, if I had to articulate why I was pro-life, what would I say? And and I, I was sort of ineffective in my own mind. I had this point and this point, and I couldn't organize them. So it dawned on me that... Each, anybody who's pro-life should stop and ask themselves why they're pro-life. They should do the homework. Uh, if you need to do the homework, you can go to, you know, for free, uh, my website, speakingfortheunborn.org. There's a four-part teaching video series. It's a total of 60 minutes that gives you all the information you need to know: the science, the law, the social justice issues, the abortion procedures, plan, you know, facts about Planned Parenthood, so that you can can you know all the background materials, and then you should be able to. Put together, write it down why you're pro life. So I put together, and it's in the book, I put together my own summary of why I'm pro life. It's called the 30 Second Pro Life Summary of of why you're pro life. And I've learned the, it's, it's funny for me because the, I've learned the opportunity to defend the pro life position is pretty, it comes up commonly, quite frequently. And you might get one chance to make your case. And if you waste it, you might have really missed that one opportunity you had. So, I have if somebody says to me, and I get this every once in a while because being a doctor, they'll say somebody I'm, I'm kind of friendly with, but they don't know me well, and then they find out I'm pro-life, and, they say, and they're shocked, you know, how can I be pro-life? So they say, "You're pro-life? Wow, I, I, that surprises me." And then boom, I, I hit them with my 30-second summary, and, and I can I can tell you mine. I'm sure I'll butcher it. Well, I now that we're on camera, but <laughs> but you know, my I say I'm pro-life, and I have my list. I say I'm pro-life because I'm pro-science because there's overwhelming scientific consensus that life begins at conception. And I'm pro-life because. Social justice begins in the womb, because every living human being is entitled to the most fundamental of rights that being life itself, because being a burden on someone is never justification for killing them. And I'm pro-life because I'm pro-woman, because abortion degrades women, treating their fertility as a defect and enabling men to use and abandon them at their most vulnerable. Abortion never empowers, uh, never empowers women, only the men who wish to exploit them. And I'm pro-life because I'm against violence, because abortion is not only immoral, but it's an act of extreme violence against the most vulnerable. And I'm pro-life because of the visible evidence because ultrasound and now MRI clearly reveal what's moving inside a woman's body, a living baby. And lastly, I'm pro-life because of objective morality. If abortion is the killing of a living unborn child, then it's both cowardly and immoral to remain silent. And that's why I'm pro-life. And then I always say, and why aren't you? And this is the answer I get 99% of the time. It goes like this, this is their answer um, um, nothing, nothing. They have nothing to say. Um, but I, as I said before, so many people in the pro in the pro-like movement are not ready to articulate these very strong and, and, and convincing answers. So I really recommend if you, if you want it, it's on my free, on my website, or you can buy the book, um, at Amazon speaking for the unborn, uh, but prepare your own summary, use mine, modify mine, but be ready to go. Um, because these 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 are exciting arguments and they really really convince people, so they're, they're winning arguments.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, again, like I think what you said before about the idea of of science like we're representing science here, and a, and a lot of the the people who were addressing these conversations haven't actually thought this through. Like you, you mentioned that just now, right? You you get this kind of blank stare or this um um, um I, I I don't know because it's it's something that especially in, in Many places in the world where abortion is just taken for granted, up here in Canada, for example, where every you know every media outlet, uh, with no exceptions, just reports this as 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 the facts. Of course, abortion shouldn't be even discussed in in our government, in our in our parliament. It you know you know the, the air you breathe is this idea that well, abortion is, is fine. This is a women's rights issue. But when you begin to push back with the science, as as you're doing, Doctor Christie, you begin to you know, poke poke holes in that 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 worldview, and those holes are pretty easy to poke because the science is pretty is pretty rock solid. And then you begin to get these these questions, right? You begin to ha- force people into thinking their position through and realizing how untenable that position be- begins to be pretty quickly, right?
1: You know the. What you've, you brought up is, and I had to think long and hard, how did we get to this position that you, you're, you're explaining yeah. very articulately? How did we get to this position where abortion is just accepted that we actually we, we dismember living babies in the womb? Uh, and and consider it somehow healthcare, and and I thought long and hard. And the theory that I that I use, and I when I do live presentations, I think of those those monkeys: the, the see no evil, the hear no evil, and speak no evil. And if you go back to to the sexual revolution, and I I, I speak to the United States, I know you're Canada. But I'm probably I'm sure it's a similar mm-hmm. phenomenon, but you know back when i was a child and it, the sexual revolution sought to unmoor sex from from marriage and family and they they told society that sex was liberating and empowering and wonderful and completely without consequences and as it turns out there were some rather serious consequences not the least of which was this surge in unwanted pregnancies and it left those sexual revolutionaries two choices they could say wow we, we messed up this experiment backfired we, we got to go back to traditional values or they could just sort of you know get rid of those darn pregnancies and, and we know exactly what they did because because sex and sexual expression and sexual uh i don't even know sexual fluidity now uh, are the hallmarks of today's secular culture and the and the only way to get rid of those sexual i'm sorry those those pregnancies those unwanted pregnancies outside the safety net of, of marriage was to pretend they don't exist and that's where those three monkeys come in they i don't that, that's not i don't see a pregnancy that's not a baby that's a, that's that's um clumps of cells and and that those i don't hear that my hand over my ears i don't i don't hear that fetal heartbeat now the new york times those are just embryonic pulsations we don't that's you know i didn't sit there denying denying and we never speak the truth you know women go into planned parenthood uh scared and frightened pregnant and they the the, the clinicians say would you like us to restore your period or testimony from abortionists in court actually says when they describe what they do is they, they empty the uterine cavity, rendering women unpregnant because they can never, ever speak the truth. But if you can remove those blinds and remove those hands over the ears and, and remove and start speaking the truth, you can reverse this. And that's what we're seeing happening because it's It takes a lot of work to live in that denial. Just like that embryology professor that I had, she had to yell at me and and she was yelling at herself. They're not alive. They're not alive. They're not alive. That was this. They're not alive. They're not alive. They're not alive. And we have to just persistently remove those blinds and those that cotton from the ears and to speak the truth. And that's how we liberate these people. And we get rid of this culture of death. And the other thing that we have to do, and this is a, a greater issue and I'm sure this comes up on all the time and your show and on other, on, on, on religious issues is we're in a, we're in a culture now where everything is about the self, self, self you got to find yourself and you got to express yourself and you got to be, got to be true to yourself and you have to have lots of self-esteem and you have to, you have to uh, you have to take selfies of your lunch, you know, and share it with the world. But Christianity and, and tr- traditional Judeo-Christian cultures also, we, you know, we also believe in the self, but completely differently. It, you know, it's about selflessness and self-sacrifice and self-control and self-restraint um, and self-giving. You know, it's about losing ourselves in, in, in the service of others. And if you start thinking that that personal sovereignty, yourself, is all that matters, and that anything that gets in the way has to be crushed, that that's how you start. Killing your own children because personal sovereignty, me, 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 self, self, self is all that matters, and that's that's just a defective human anthropology. And I, I think we're starting to see, and I think it's, it's an it's a consequence of of the pro-choice political. I can only speak to the United States, really, but of the political movement in the of the pro-choice world is radical, and it's far more radical than the pro-choice population is the United States. So we have states that that are. That are pushing hard for abortion for any reason at any time and taxpayer funded, but that's not even where the pro-choice movement stands. And, and the pro-choice movement even doesn't believe in abortion after twelve weeks. The, the, the latest two polls are seventy-one percent and seventy-five percent. I alluded to before. So I think I think this radical nature is is is. Um, it's collapsing back upon itself. So th- I think those things, that, that those, those monkeys, the blind deaf and this never speaking the truth and this this notion of self and, and is, is, are the, this defective human anthropology, I think we can turn it around. I think that's what's happening now. And if the Supreme Court rules that, that would just be a, a massive, a massive change. Yeah. Uh, bringing this, although ironically, it's a massive change in the United States, but really at this point, that's, and that's why the book is exciting for me because then the real work, happens once it gets to the state level we're not now relying on uh, appellate uh, attorneys to do the work for us now we got to roll up our sleeves and sleeves and get to work state by state by state uh, convincing people one person at a time uh, winning hearts and minds one person at a time and, that, and that's what this book does and by the way i, I used to be embarrassed about promoting the book uh, as though i'm trying to sell something i am trying to sell something but but i think the cause is wonderful and just for the for the record the publisher makes money i i don't take a dime for 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 my work. It, it, it all's put it back in, uh, into the pro-life movement. I won't accept even a reimbursement penny. Um, and so please go buy the book. It's amazon.com. I hope I'm allowed to plug it on your show here. I would say if you buy the book and you like it, give it a five-star rating. That helps the selling algorithm. If you buy the book, and you're not wild about it. Please give it a five-star rating. Um, that helps the book. But or, or you can just get lots of parts of it for free at speakingfortheunborn.org. <laughs>
0: There, I had to plug it. Oh, Steve, you're my favorite. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. I think, you know, what's so interesting up here, so from looking at a global perspective, I know you're in the States, I'm thinking of globally, and most listeners to the show are in the States too, but there is a global dimension to listeners and viewers to this show. And I think of up here in Canada, the ramifications of this being a topic that's kind of back in the news in the States, that ripples out the rest of the world, right? The States being what it is it makes news there, it begins to ripple everywhere else. And suddenly this is back in the news up here in Canada. And even though our coverage is universally kind of, well, of course, the Americans are crazy. This issue is settled. This is a women's rights issue. Our prime minister is a self-described feminist. He talks about how this is a women's rights issue, and they actually want to kind of increase the the right of of access to abortion and shrine that even further than it is up here in Canada. But despite his inclinations, it being news in the States and you know and books like yours coming out to to address these concerns brings it back into the popular d- discussion all around the world and like you said there's there are hearts and minds then that we can as we present these arguments to people begin to move one you know one person at a time not winning stadiums not winning the debate on the cable news network necessarily but winning one person at a time to begin to to you know, present that and begin to 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 make the movement. You know, move in that direction. I think that's that's really fascinating. That that ripple effect and how that impacts you know around the world like that. That's really interesting.
1: Yeah, it is interesting. And one of the things that I found, and we haven't talked about it yet, that you know, as you're describing the Canadian philosophy right now, that this really is a, a, a women's rights, and you know, they can't imagine that you would impose upon a, a woman's bodily integrity, but. One of the things I have I, 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 on the website and in the book, that I, I, and particularly on the website, and I would encourage everybody for free to do this, is sometimes you know we make these very clever, clever arguments, and maybe we change people's minds and their hearts, and, and that's wonderful. But sometimes you need to let the unborn speak for themselves, and so I purchased the rights to photographs and videos, uh, and they're on the website. And you can download them to your phone, and sometimes instead of arguing with somebody, you can say, can I show you something? So when somebody says, look, uh, you know, a 10 10 weeks is just a clump of cells. It's not a baby. Give me a break. It's just a clump of cells. And you could argue why it's not a clump of cells. And there's wonderful reasons I could explain why it's not a clump of cells. But you could just say, hey, can I ask you a favor? Can I just show you what a 10-week-old baby looks like? I just want to show you. And if you think it's a clump of cells, that's totally fine. But can I show you? We have unbelievably beautiful images uh, on our website. And Download them to your phones and your computers because sometimes that's all you need to do uh, I've had this experience where you say to somebody do you mind if I just show you a photograph and you show them the photograph and they say this Oh my goodness. Oh my gosh. I didn't. Oh my gosh The other thing we have on the website and and you need to be careful how you do this is we have animations not videos but animations of the five abortion procedures that are done and and If you've lived uh, as those monkeys in denial, and you don't even know what an abortion is, and you think it's just this, as Planned Parenthood says, it's a safe medical procedure that ends up pregnancy. That's all it is. It's just a procedure that ends up pregnancy. Um, You don't know the truth about it. You don't know how gruesome it is. At least learn the truth through an animation. The animations are edited down. They're made by Dr. Anthony Levatino, a former abortionist. And they are difficult to watch even though they're animations but they show the truth about abortion they're not um, they're not exaggerated but when somebody's discussing with you about you know first trimester DNC a dilatation curatage it's just a benign procedure again you can argue with them or you can say can I show you a 90 second animation do you mind and there's videos all over the internet f- uh, of people watching dr levatino's videos where somebody's saying abortion is nothing abortion is nothing and then you watch them sobbing after they watch just an animation, just an animation. So again, if you want to get to people's hearts, use the truth and, and, and don't no gotcha arguments, no fighting with them, don't get hot under the collar, but be kind compassionate, use your rebuttals that you have, but sometimes use those, those, those animations. One of the things we have is, a, is an ectopic pregnancy, an intraoperative video at only eight weeks. And it's a, I, I would ask you to go to speakingfortheunborn.org and look at it. It's a beautiful video of a baby's uh, head, nose, arms, ears, hands, feet, fingers, toes moving around eight weeks. This is no clump of cells. You can't help but say baby when you see that and it breaks your heart. I don't care if you're pro-choice or pro-life, it breaks your heart when you see this video. And I put that in there because this this baby who who couldn't live. Has probably done more to save uh, babies in this country than I could ever ever do. So sometimes let the let the let the unborn speak for themselves as well.
0: And I mean those those things. It's not I mean sensationalizing or or a gotcha to show a picture or or an animation. Like okay, it's going to pull at heartstrings. But it's pulling at heartstrings because what they're seeing is what they they I guess what they thought they understood this to be, and seeing the reality of the actual you know images that science can now produce and can show, and technology can now demonstrate. Look, this is the reality. I don't I don't I don't know what you thought this was, but here's what actually is happening. Here's what, here's what this actually looks like at this stage of development, and and so on and so forth. I mean, that's going to tug at heartstrings, you know, quote unquote, but by showing the truth, right?
1: Right. At the same time, you're still going to have to deal with the nonsense issues, uh, the nonsense arguments, because people are so used to these cliches um, that they throw at you, that you have to still be able to articulate why they are wrong. So uh, whether it's, you know, one of the classic ones we get all the time, and especially in the United States with our current president is, you know, um, we should never impose our personal beliefs on other people. Yeah, yeah. And I, I get that all the time. It's one of these cliches, you can't impose your morality. Who are you to impose your belief system, your morality? Which is a nonsense issue. And and I, I and I tell him, look, we all believe in imposing morality. And we all do it every single day on critical moral issues like rape and murder and theft and child abuse. We never rely on each person's individual moral code to decide what they should do. We declare to the world that those behaviors are repugnant, they're immoral, and if you do them, we're gonna throw you in jail. Um, so the idea that we don't impose morality is nonsense. We do it on every single person, every single day. And, and I try not to get too political, and, um, but our, our current sitting president who, who s- s- goes on and on about being devoutly Catholic, and I don't wanna criticize somebody else's faith, but, but when you're in a position of, of speaking as you are for, for your faith a, a, in that sort of position, and when you say that I'm personally pro-choice, but who am I to impose it on other people? it's a nonsense argument. It needs to be called out. And the classic argument that I've heard many times and I've included in the book is that's the equivalent of saying, you know, I'm personally against slavery. I would never, never, never own a slave. But if, if you, if you want a slave or two that's, you know, who am I to impose? You can have a slave or two beat them. If you want, I, I don't, I wouldn't beat my own slaves, but if you want slaves and you want to beat them, you can do that. You know, it's, these are nonsense arguments, but just like these important scientific arguments, we have to be able to, to deal with their, the nonsense arguments. And, and there's, 50 of them, of the arguments they make that I've listed in the book. And whether it's uh, this idea of imposing morality or whether um, if a baby doesn't know they're being, being injured, then, then it's not immoral. So, you, if they're not sentient, it doesn't matter. And again, you can deal with these arguments at any single point. I, I tell them it's the same thing as you know, if a, if a young woman is passed out, drunk from alcohol at a fraternity party, and three men molest her, but she doesn't know it. Does that make their actions moral? No. A, an immoral act is immoral, whether or not it's it's felt or somebody is whether they're aware of it. Or the arguments of uh, it's best left to a doctor uh, and the woman. And, and again, we talk about an immoral act cannot be made moral by the assistance of anybody. No more so than if the doctor just said to you, you know, you might want to drown your two-year-old baby. An immoral act is immoral, period. So you have to deal with these sort of, I don't want to call them useless arguments, but the ones that are, are not well thought out. Um, so the, the, the autonomy arguments you have to be delicate with. These other ones you can really learn quickly and, and have your, your canned answer for. And and there's other issues that are, uh, again, you have to be very delicate. one of the ones, it's interesting, rape and incest account for less than one half of 1% of abortions. But it's one of the first arguments I'm ever given. Um, And so on one hand, because it's such a tiny issue you can really dispense with it quickly. But I always say to somebody, and in fact, I've been criticized in the book by a couple of people who wrote to me and, and the second edition will fix this. And I, I, I like criticism because I want to get better. They said, you know, I, that I didn't sound sensitive enough to the issue of rape in the book. And I went back and looked at my rebuttals and I, I think they're right. Um, and that and when somebody brings up rape, yeah, maybe it's only one half of 1%, but if the person bringing it up to you, maybe a person who experienced rape, a, a, an unimaginably violent uh act against somebody that if it hasn't happened to me or you you can't possibly appreciate it so we need to be very sensitive to that issue so when somebody brings up rape and uh, rape uh, as one of the arguments the first thing i do is i make sure i'm very sensitive again not to be conniving from a strategic standpoint from but from a christian uh act of love and compassion that the person i'm speaking to may be suffering terribly so you have to approach that with real caution and, and kindness and tenderness but then I, I, I you know, point out that a couple of things. One, you point out that it's less than one half and one percent, and we don't make general rules based on the rare exception. That's not how laws work. Um, and, and one of the things I say, I said, if your objection to abortion is based on rape and incest, then I say, congratulations, we have we we agree we're pro life on ninety nine point five percent of cases together, and that's exciting. It's great to know they're pro life if that's where they stand. Uh, and then then if I if I can get to the issue the, the, the crux of the issue in rape. But again, I'm very careful now about when I bring this up for somebody that may have experienced, experienced rape, as I said, there really are no situations in life when a, when an act of terrible violence is ever fixed by another act of terrible violence. And Mm -hmm. a child is a child, irrespective of how they were conceived. And it's always moving. If you ever go to the March for life here in the United States, you'll have lots and lots of women who are holding signs saying, I was conceived by rape. Um, And they feel their lives are justified and they're very glad they're alive. And I have tremendous, tremendous respect for the mothers who endured uh, that horrible act, but had the courage uh, to not then bring the revenge out on, on that poor child.
0: Yeah, I, that, that's very well said, and an important, I mean, yeah, an important point to make. Right, because that is one of those things that is so often brought out in when you talk about abortion, right? Even though it it, it accounts for a very small percentage, right, or half a percentage, uh, in in fact, right, it's one of those things, one of those those kind of outlying cases that seems to be brought out to kind of undo the entire thing. The other thing I'm thinking of is the idea that, like, you know, society is best is best fit if these women just have abortions like the unwanted babies and society are best fit why are we forcing women to raise their babies in a society where they they can't afford to or they can't take care of the babies they'll just be in poverty and and in in unjust situations and it would have been better off just having an abortion and better off for the mother aunt, and baby and for society i i hear that also brought out a lot from those who defend the the right to access to abortion. Right. What do so you make the, of that?
1: Yeah, so the best for it that is best for unwanted babies or or handicapped yeah. children. And, I, and right. there's a few things I say here. And I say that I re, I tell them what they're saying. What they're telling me is that they think it's better to eliminate the sufferer than to eliminate the suffering. So if you think that we need to improve child welfare, I agree with you, and let's get together and do that now. And if you think that adoption services should be streamlined, let's do that. And let's do that now. Um, If you think foster care programs need to be worked on, I agree with you. And let's do that together now. But solutions based on killing of innocent living human beings are never acceptable. It's never the compassionate and kind thing to dismember a living child in the womb. It never is. That's not, that's not the compassionate thing to do is to kill a child ever. And, and and when they talk about it with, with the handicapped children, you know, you know, um, it's very, you know, now you're talking eugenics and you don't, I don't even like to talk about the people. There've been famous groups of people in in the world and in our history that believe in eugenics and you don't want to be associated with those groups of people. Uh, and, And the people that really don't like to hear those things are the parents of handicapped children who think the world their lives have been enriched tremendously and their children deserve to live. And the last thing they think that, that their children deserve was not to be allowed to live. Uh, so I, I think those are are, are really uh, offensive arguments to make. You know, what's interesting for me, um, and, and my wife and I disagree on this a little bit, is being on a Catholic <laughs> show, I make a big point in this book, and I'm a wacky Catholic, I love being Catholic, it, 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 but, but I say in, in the book and, and in the video series that, Avoid religious arguments against abortion um, unless you're arguing with a religious person. And and, and it's interesting for me, and this has just been my experience, the vast uh, majority of abortion advocates are secular uh, liberals who who think that the religious, as I said before, are unsophisticated and unthinking and brainwashed and backwards and and intolerant. So if you're debating abortion with a non-religious person, you've made eight wonderful non-religious arguments, but then you happen to mention the word God or sin or sanctity of life or the catechism, you see their face change immediately and you can read their mind and, and their, and their mind is saying something like this. Oh, 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 Steve, I didn't realize you're a freak. And, and every non-religious argument I just made just vanished. Right, right. Um, I always say making a religious argument is handing a club to your opponent with which to beat you over the heads. So we have so many compelling uh, and persuasive non-religious arguments, I always say stick to them. But, but, and uh, my wife disagrees with me just a little bit on this. But, but that doesn't mean you don't bring your faith into this. As I told you, I'm a, I'm a wacky Catholic. I, I love my faith, and, and it informs every single thing that I do. So I bring my faith deeply into this into this into my into my work. I just don't use it the words of my faith to the people that I'm discussing with. So there's a, a priest I, I, that's very important in my life uh, who has a a cute formula. I don't know where he got it. it's not, it's, it's uh, not exact, but he said, you know, we tend to rush out and we want to do our debating. He says, but as Catholics, that's not what we do. You know, the, the first thing we do is we, we stop and pray, um, and discern what we're supposed to do. Uh, and, and then once we've done that in the tradition of our faith, make a sacrifice, um, uh, offer it up so you might uh, you know we've, this is deep in our Catholic tradition so you you pray and then you might say you know today I'm gonna I'm gonna discuss this with my best friend I've been thinking about this for a long time and and I'm gonna make a sacrifice on behalf I'm offering it up and I'm not gonna put sugar in my coffee today you know a little nothing a little something you do like that then you know he always says it's it's 60 prayer and it's and it's 35 percent Uh, you know, sacrifice. And then with the little leftover, that's your action. (laughs) So I say, don't bring your religious words into your argument. But certainly, if if you're a person of faith, bring your faith, whatever your faith is, uh, into this argument. But again, my arguments are based on science. They're based on the law. They're based on social justice concerns. And they're based on the visible evidence uh, and ethics. They are not based on religion at all.
0: (laughs) <laughs> Steve, very well said. This is a, a serious topic, of course, but you've been a fantastic guest to have on the show. I, I appreciate your perspective, how articulate you are. You're you're a great guy, Steve. I really appreciate your time on the show. I'm grateful for you letting me on I, here, rambling and rambling. That's what yeah. I do. I was going to give you a chance now at the end. To plug the book. You've already plugged it once, but you may as well plug it again. It's Speaking for the Unborn from Emmaus uh, Road Press. Tell us more about the website and where people can go to get the book and, and the resources that tie into this uh, book. Sure. Uh,
1: you can get the book from, from directly from the publisher at Emmaus Road Press, or you can get it from Amazon.com, Speaking for the Unborn um and if you get it please give it a review even just to hit the stars on there that's very helpful to the algorithm the website is speaking for the unborn.org or.com uh this the website everything on the website is completely free uh and i shouldn't say this but i've been doing this uh this is a, this is um this is a, you know something i feel very strongly in if if for, if If you want the book and you can't afford the book at all, and I've done this now for a bunch of people, including today, I went out to the post office and mailed two of them. Um, You can reach me through the website, speakingfortheunborn.org, and I'll send you a book. I'll I'll buy the book and I'll put the postage on it and mail it to you. Uh, I hope 3,000 people don't ask me today for a a free book, but it's important to me. So I'm happy to put my money where my mouth is. Um, So I'm grateful for the opportunity to to spend time with you. It's been a great joy. Uh, And for anybody who wants to reach me the website's a a great way to, to reach out. Thank you.
0: Oh, geez. Steve, uh, Dr. Christie, this has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, really. I really appreciate your perspective and your, your take on this and the work that you're doing. I want to say God bless you, your wife, your family, as you guys do this really important work for not only the, the church, but for, gosh, humankind, for those who can't advocate for themselves. This is gosh, such important work. And I really appreciate people like you being on the front lines of this, uh, Dr. Christie. So thank you and God bless you. you in that. And thank you so much for being here today with us.
1: Thank you so much. I'm really grateful for the opportunity.
0: Well, there you have it, friends. My conversation with Dr. Steve Christie on how to talk about abortion. Hopefully you liked that episode. I found it so fascinating, so interesting. Steve is a great guy. I hope that came away from our conversation. So compassionate, so thoughtful, so kind, really cordial through and through. And really, this is a hard topic to talk about, a really serious topic to tackle. And Hopefully, this conversation gave you some ideas of things and ways to process this and how to speak about this important issue. Check out Steve's website and links to the book in the show notes for this show in your pod catching app or head over to thecordialcatholic.com for our website and show notes are there as well do, reach out to me at cordialcatholic at gmail.com. Let me know who you are, where you're listening from, and why you listen to this show. I love hearing your feedback. We're on social media at Cordial Catholic on Instagram and on Twitter, The Cordial Catholic on Facebook, and to watch what you're hearing, head over to youtube.com slash Catholic. To support this show, head over to patreon.com slash cordialcatholic or paypal.me slash cordialcatholic for a one-time donation. Those links are also in the show notes as well. If you want to help to consider supporting this show, please do. Please pray about that and think about that. And if you want to help this show to keep going and growing, please do support the work of this show. Thanks for listening, friends. Please pray for me. Know that I'm praying for you too each and every week, and I'll talk to you again next week, friends. Thanks for being here. God bless.